This is the Engine Radio Podcast. So here we are. Uh, Theresa May steps down today as leader of the Conservative Party. She didn't try hard enough, uh, as the Express perhaps a little uncharitably put it this morning, uh, as it revealed its readers have judged her the worst British Prime Minister in history. Nice. Um, welcome to the Engine Podcast. I'm Jamie Lyons, Head of Public Affairs at MHP. I'm joined this morning by two of our team who are extremely well-placed to talk about the now 11 candidates in the running to take May's place. Amy Fisher was Director of Communications for the Conservative Party and a Special Advisor in three government departments before joining MHP. Matthew Elliott was Chief Executive of the Vote Leave campaign and is now running Sajid Javid's leadership bid. So welcome both. Hi. Hi. Okay, so as we said at the start, uh, today is Theresa May's last day as Tory leader. Matthew, she's still Prime Minister, so perhaps you could tell us what happens now. So she's still Prime Minister until we have a new leader of the Conservative Party. And what's going to happen over the next few weeks is uh, nominations shut at um, 5pm on uh, Monday, and then we'll know who actually is running. You mentioned there are 11 at the moment. I reckon over the weekend, a few will struggle to get the two nominations and six additional signatures they need. So we'll see that sort of winnow down a little bit. Then on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week, you have the uh, 1922 committee hustings. And then you have the first round of voting next Thursday. Again, that will reduce the numbers down, but you need to reach a certain threshold then. Then over the weekend, we have the Channel 4 debate on the Sunday, 16th. Monday, more hustings with the 1922 committee. Then further rounds of voting on the Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And the key point is that it's not just uh, one round of voting on the Thursday. If they need more than one round, they will just keep on voting on that Thursday until they're down to two candidates who then go through to the Conservative Party membership. Okay. I completely agree with Matthew that I think over even the weekend, a few more are going to sort of have to drop out through just you know not, not getting those numbers of the support that Matthew described. I mean, the person that I'm sort of really looking at and quite sort of fascinated by at the moment is Andrea Leadsom because she hasn't, she's still sort of in a single digit sort of territory and yet if you look at the bookie, she's got really good odds. She's like 11 to 1 and you know, she is a sort of serious person but she, you know, is somebody who I think would have expected to be further ahead in terms of support than she actually is at the moment. There is actually some talk that with some of the candidates who have slightly um, sort of fewer public votes than needed to get onto the ballot, that some MPs will actually support them privately just to get them on the ballot. So a similar situation always to what happened with Labour and um, yeah. Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. So that could happen at the weekend. See, I think that, that's an interesting point. So for you, which, which ones are the, the genuine contenders? And I suppose, you know, why, why are the others in the running? I think the, the assumption is always that it's sort of laying down a marker for a good job under the next leader. Okay. Is that fair? Or? So I, so I will answer that, but I just want to quickly say about somebody who's already dropped out. Like, I personally was quite sad to see James Cleverly go yeah. so early because I just think, you know, he, well, he's, you know, he's a really good guy, very good communicator, and, you know, what it would say quite a lot about the Conservative Party to have a sort of somebody from a not, not white background in the running. Obviously, we've got that in Saj, which, you know, Matthew is, is heavily involved in sort of running the campaign there. So, I mean, of the... Of the the 11 that are sort of still in, I think quite quickly we're going to get down to the top six, yeah. um, which is, you know, sort of, I'm not going to be able to remember them now, but um, <laughs> Hancock, Hunt, uh, Saj, Boris, and filming on the coffee. Gove. Thank you very much. Rob. 
Brilliant. <laughs> Nicely done. Got there between the two of us. And, and of those, I think it's fair to say that Boris is the pretty <clears throat> clear favourite. Um, can you see past him, either of you? Perhaps Matthew first? Well, if you look back at um, previous Conservative Party leadership elections, um, you know, against David Cameron, David Davis was the clear front runner, and he won the MP round, but then lost the members round. And there were previous ones where, for example, Michael Portillo was seen as the front runner. Then going back eons in history, Michael Heseltine against Thatcher. So often the favourite doesn't actually win, but that often relies on um, the favourite to you know, mess up in a certain way. And at the moment, Boris's strategy of basically staying off broadcast media, um, playing things very, very low-key, allowing his outriding and his, his campaign team to do the running for him, seems to be paying off. Totally agree. And also, Boris is Boris, and, you know, Bojo is a thing. He doesn't need to get himself out there in, in quite the same way as, say, you know, Mark Harper does. He just doesn't have the profile, either really amongst the parliamentary party and his colleagues, let alone sort of wider to the grassroots and the, mm. and, and the public. So you've both sort of mentioned there that, that we haven't seen a lot of Boris so far. Presumably that's a, a deliberate strategy. I mean, are they, are they, is he hiding for fear of making another gaffe? Or? I think they want one of these situations where they allow the other contenders to sort of fight it out amongst themselves almost. And he then sort of rides through as the sort of presidential candidate almost, the, the, the heir apparent. So why get involved in the sort of the scraps on a day-to-day basis with the media? Just do a certain number of interventions which he knows will carry really well. So I think his first big one will be um, this week in the um, Sunday Times. I'm assuming it's Tim Shipman doing the, in- the interview. That'll be a big intervention for him. Yeah. And Boris isn't universally loved by colleagues in Parliament. The assumption is that if he makes it through to the membership, he wins. Is there sort of a concerted attempt by MPs to stop him making it to the final two? Yes, but they've just been a bit badly organised about it. Is that fair? Um, I think it's slightly complicated by the fact there are so many um, contenders. Um, I know that on the um, on the sort of more the sort of leave side of the contest, there has always been quite a lot of scrapping between um, Dominic Raab's camp and mm-hmm. Boris Johnson's camp, and also of course you got the added complication of two things. First of all, you know, Michael Gove also being a leave supporter, but now being a cabinet minister. But then on the other side of things, you have know, Steve Baker talking about whether or not he'll stand to be the sort of pure Brexiteer. So. They're all four of them are sort of fighting out amongst themselves to work out who will be the Brexiteer on the ticket. Ticket. So Matthew makes an excellent point there because actually I think what happened a couple of weeks ago when it looks like Don Rob was actually soaring like way out ahead. I think what happened there is a, a sort of bunch of MPs then went, oh, oh goodness me, anyone but Rob, and so that actually sort of sucked the <clears throat> momentum. Um, out of the sort of anyone but Boris campaign because they suddenly thought, oh, oh goodness me, of, of leavers like Rob is really quite scary if you're a Remainer. Mm. And Boris is undeniably a character. I suppose the, the, the concern is obviously whether or not he's a serious character. You've seen him up close. Um, is that fair? I think Boris is who I've got you know, a huge amount of time for and admiration for. And obviously I work very closely with him on the, uh, the Vote Leave campaign. I think it's fair to say that um, you know, we wouldn't have won the referendum without Boris. Lots of different facts as well, but you know, Boris was central to winning over those um, swing voters and undecided voters in the centre. So, you know, a huge figure. You know, is he a serious character? You know, yes, he is. He requires having um, a good team around him, and you know, his time as mayor was really helped by the fact he had um, Simon Milton and then Eddie Lister as his uh, chief of staff 
who were like the sort of CEOs of the operation made it run. So I think the big question will be, if he becomes prime minister, who will his chief of staff be? Who will actually run um, down the street for him? But I wouldn't concede just yet that he'll be prime minister who gets through to the uh, members round. There's a long way to go in this race. Sure. And I don't want to make this, this all about Boris, but one of his sort of famous interventions was the, the F business one. Uh, it seems a strange question to ask about a potential uh, leader of the Conservative Party, but should business be worried about him as, as PM? Perhaps to you, Amy. No, look, Boris says a lot. He often says it very loudly, but as Matthew has just really clearly set out, like he is actually a serious person. Yes, OK, he would need that team around him, as, as Matthew has described, but, you know, I certainly don't think Boris poses anything like the... Uh, threat to business that, say, for example, well, I don't know, John McDonnell or Jeremy Corbyn would be. So um, if business is going to worry about anything, they should be worrying about that latter prospect, not not Boris. Sure. And we said we wouldn't make it make it all about Boris. And we at MHP produced a briefing note recently on all the candidates. And one of the things that we set out was how Labour would go for them. So I'd be interested in your views on their Achilles heels. So so Michael Gove, let's start with him. Um, he was removed as Education Secretary by David Cameron for being too toxic to parents and teachers. Now, he, he's undoubtedly a very clever man, but, but Matthew, is he too otherworldly for voters? I don't think so. I think it's worth saying of Michael, um, you know, he is one of the few ministers who actually take a department and run it extremely competently mm-hmm. and set a vision and a strategy and a you know, proper media grid. Um, for that department. So I think he's run a very competent um, number 10. But like you say, I think, sadly, I think he was a great education secretary, he did many wonderful things. Um, he does have you know, teachers against him, sort of generally, so that'd be a big problem for him. No, I mean, actually, genuinely, sorry to bust in, but actually, like, genuinely still against, like, every time I see my sister, who is really just, like, not, not a political mm. person, and in fact, the only time she buys a newspaper is when the Express puts Princess Diana on the front, as they do during August. <laughs> um, but literally, I, we, I, I can't get into a, a conversation with her about politics, because even, you know, six, seven years on, all she'll keep coming back to is, like, a massive rant wow. against, against Michael Gove. Yeah. As I say, this is, you know, not from somebody at all political, but just as a primary school teacher, she's... Absolutely, and as much as I keep trying to say, look, he's actually a really nice man, we just can't get into it anymore. Yeah, it is there as a legacy in the same way with Jeremy Hunt because he was um, Secretary of State for Health for so long. He has the doctors and nurses against him, and you know, again, he did, I think, quite a good job as Health Secretary. But, um, you know, the Labour Party always go in general elections for the whole sort of the Tories will privatize the NHS card. So, Jeremy Hunt as Prime Minister or leader, that'd be a huge attack line for them. So that's why when we made our announcement on the you know, massive billions more investment in the NHS a couple of months ago, yes, absolutely the right thing to do, but actually politically it didn't really buy us anything because as, as much as you know, the Conservatives can sit there and say, you know, we care about the NHS, we're investing, more doctors, more nurses, whatever, people just don't believe it. Yeah. On, on Jeremy, I, I take what you said about his problems with the, with the medics. One of the criticisms of him has always been that voters don't have a great deal of idea who he is. I think there's probably been a slight improvement after the last week with the, with the Trump visit. Matthew, is, is that a problem for him? I think the bigger problem is that he um, is basically a Conservative Party leader, or would be, out of central casting. He's what you expect a Conservative Party leader to be. Um, you know, very privileged, public school, all that sort of stuff. And I actually think there's a great yearning for change amongst the electorate and they want to see something different. And if they don't see that difference from the Conservative Party leadership, they'll seek it in 
you know, Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. So that's why, for me, there are two basically sort of change candidates in this election. You know, one is um, Boris Johnson, who obviously isn't a Conservative Party leader out of central casting. He would be uh, quite a sort of anti-establishment figure becoming Prime Minister. But also um, Sajid Javid, who, might say that from his, his you know, background, you know, would force voters to take a second look at the Conservative Party and would be quite difficult for the, Conservative, for the, for the Labour Party to attack in a general election. Very difficult to sort of say he's from a privileged background or has been given everything on a silver platter when he's basically come from nothing. Yeah, I mean, let's turn to Saj then. Um, you have, you're not the first person to remind us of his backstory. Uh, I think a few of us have heard that he, that he is, in fact, the son of, of a bus driver. driver? Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Um, but Matthew, he was also a banker during the financial crisis. He's not the best performer the party's had. These are things you can iron out. I mean, he um, made his way from nothing to, like you say, the top of the um, city. What's interesting is of all the professions he picked in the sort of uh, early 90s when he chose his career, um, actually it's one of those professions where you get in there and you're judged on your performance. It's a true meritocracy, whereas still at that time and arguably today, if you get into the fields of um, journalism or the law, Often family ties matter a lot, politics as well. So he went into a profession and rose to the top through his own hard work. In terms of his um, comms ability, I think he's you know, great at the Q&A. So I think he's doing really well in the hustings and really on top of his detail. And in fact, actually his speech-making ability is really improving. He's put a lot, lot of effort into that. But he's not the sort of person who uh, was brought up, went to Oxbridge, had his sort of speaking style honed in the... Oxford Union or Cambridge Union or anything like that, he's come from nothing and he's working on it. And actually, just on that, it's what slightly annoys me when people keep saying, you know, Saj is wooden, he's not very good, blah, blah, blah. Because look, in, in any of these candidates, right, there isn't going to be a perfect one. I'm not even talking about sort of whether they're remain, leave, are they going to solve Brexit? I'm just talking about there is no sort of person who, who's absolutely brilliant at everything. I mean, it goes back to the point, again, that Matthew made about, you know, Boris would need a really strong team about him. So do you know what, so what if, you know, Saj isn't the best orator ever? I sort of don't really care, yeah. as long as I trust that the person, you know, can get can get the job done. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Okay, well, let, let's turn to another perhaps imperfect candidate in, in, in Dominic Raab. Um, again, undoubtedly a very clever man. Um, he perhaps says what he thinks without necessarily considering how it might be perceived. We will all remember his comments about food banks being used because of cash flow problems rather than poverty, yeah. um, about the obnoxious bigotry of feminism. What, what do we think about Dom? Well, look, I've got a wound, so I couldn't possibly comment. Over to you then, Matthew. <laughs> With his comments about feminism, I'm, I'm slightly surprised he didn't row back from them. Um, if you think of all the, the, chance, um, you know, the Boris columns over the years, he's very successfully said, look, that's when I was a journalist and I was using colourful language, this is what I think now. He's always done that. And I'm surprised that Dom didn't do that with his feminism comments. I know that um, you know, there are many, um, both conservative female MPs, and also actually you know, there are lots of, as you'll know, lots of female people in the lobby now, female journalists in the lobby. And that's really put their backs up in a big well, way, which actually held back his campaign. Well, exactly. I mean, I, you know, I made a flippant comment, but I'm like, genuinely quite upset by it. Mm. Yeah. OK, let's turn to, to Matt Hancock. Um, again, one of them who's perhaps less known outside of Westminster than some of the others. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I mean, does it matter? I don't think so. You know, he is the fresh face. Yeah. He's got loads of energy. You know, he's got proper experience. Like, I've known him from when he was, like, George Osborne's 
you know, sort of guy behind the scenes. Personally, I sort of um, loved his cr- cricketing yeah. kind of video for its pure, like, David Brenner's because he was doing it <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. Like, you know, he's giving it a fair crack. He's a smart guy. And I, I genuinely think that... I genuinely think he thinks he's got a tilt at it. But even if he is just doing it for that sort of thing of getting himself in the mix to get an even more senior position, then I'm fine with that as well because mm. he should be around the cabinet table. He is a huge star. Again, one of these people who can move to a department and set an agenda. And I think the other key thing about it is that I feel that um, this is probably the first time in his career that he's been able to really say what he believes about a whole range of subjects without being constrained by um, either briefing on behalf of, behalf of his boss, George Osborne, or taking the party line um, up to now. So I feel he's come out of his shell. And crucially, also slightly come out of the shadow of George Osborne. Yeah. He's now no longer you know, his man. George Osborne's man, exactly. exactly. He's now his own person and I think a great person for the future. You've both worked with these people and seen them up close. Is there anything they've got that perhaps the public hasn't seen yet? Personally, as, as much as I've ever interacted with Saj, I've always found him to have like a really good sense of humour, yeah. which, you know, again, people possibly uh, sort of wouldn't necessarily yeah. see a great deal. One of the things we need to be thinking about is basically when we look at all these characters going for the leadership, um, not just how will they perform against um, Jeremy Corbyn, who, let's face, is really quite a sort of weak um, Labour Party leader, but how will they fare against a different Labour Party leader? Because that's the next thing coming. Um, you know, trouble is brewing in the Labour Party. Um, the, he had huge support amongst the membership, um, but now that's slightly drifting away because of the EU issue and because he's not going to commit himself to um, uh, a second referendum, that sort of thing. If we get a change of Labour leader, how will these characters fare against that? And I think if you get a sort of Emily Thornberry, for example, or Keir Starmer uh, becoming a Labour leader, we need a Conservative Party leader who can face up to them at a general election. And, and talking about Labour, who, who, which of the contenders that we've discussed do you think they will be most frightened of? Sanchez. <laughs> Sanchez says Sanchez's campaign manager. Um, OK. Our, our office only isn't alone in being somewhat intrigued by Rory Stewart at the moment, his perhaps uh, slightly idiosyncratic campaign. Um, Amy, to you, have there been any other su- surprises for you yet? Just as a sort of general point, I'm kind of quite surprised by how surprised everybody is that so many people are standing, that it's such a mess. I mean, why are we surprised anymore that politics is just completely sort of batshit? Um, Just in so far as for the last three years, like sort of since um, independence referendum, Brexit referendum, like politics has just been... completely nuts. So I just think this really sort of crazy, you know, double-figure beauty parade yeah. of the leadership context that we've got going on at the moment is, is just kind of of its time for politics at the moment. So that's interesting because, you know, one of the, the thoughts was that Theresa May only really survived in, uh, for so long in post because no one else wanted it. We're now in a position where, you know, pretty much 5% of Tory MPs put themselves forward for it. How do, how do we get there, Matthew? I think because there's so many um, dividing lines in politics now. You know, of course, the traditional sort of left-right one and where you come from in the party, being more of a sort of one-nation centrist or more, sort of, more of a sort of free market, that's right. But also, of course, the, the leave-remain divide being the other key one. So, of course, you have people in different um, camps. Um, and also, I think that because there wasn't really um, a proper leadership election after the referendum, because it was cut short, 
Um, again, there's been lots of resentments and rivalries sort of building up since that point, and that's another reason why there's only different contenders. You mentioned a Remain and Leave. What are the other sort of key caucuses in the party that they need to be aware of? Well, obviously there's the sort of Amber One Nation grouping of about 40 or so, which are mostly exclusively Remainers. Um, they obviously were holding their sort of hustings over a couple yeah. of nights this week with all of the leadership folks. So I think they're a sort of I always think of them as the kind of Yvette Coopers of the Conservative Party. So they are just, you know, sort of decent kind of grown-up folk who, um, yes, they are mostly Remainers, but they're not sort of completely nutty, nutty mm. about it. And they just sort of genuinely have a desire to get the party back to some sort of functioning, um, bound-together stage again at the moment, where it just feels... Uh, like a sort of basket case of of, of people, you know, really polarised and genu- generally very unhappy with life. And you also have the um, the sort of social justice caucus. They have um, their uh, hustings coming up next Wednesday from memory, and they're you know based around the Centre for Social Justice and you know talk a lot about poverty and those sort of issues. Uh, you have the ninety two group, which is a very old group. Um, going back to the early 90s, and that's more of a sort of free market Thatcherites. Their hustings are on uh, Monday. But then, of course, you have the... Um, there isn't really a name for them, but let's call them the uh, the modernizers or the um, uh, the Cameroons, the, those sort of people who are the sort of modernising spirit of the party, who are really represented by Matt Hancock in this race. Mm. Yeah, and I'd say they're quite close to sort of one-nationers. They are, yes. In the same sort of space. Mm. Um, the candidates have obviously set out their positions on, on Brexit. Is there any way that the, the party, and, and particularly actually the membership, would choose someone who is not a Leaver? I think so. Um, I think that when it comes down to the members round, you know, like I hinted at before, people always assume that David Davis would be elected leader. It was actually David Cameron. I think it's a great instinct amongst party members to elect an election winner. And uh, when they actually see both candidates at that stage... They'll judge them on their competence. Yes, their Brexit plans as well and see how effective they can deliver them. And actually, you know, I would say, looking forward to um, you know, the new Prime Minister, how will Brussels react if they have Boris Johnson as Prime Minister? Actually, I think they'll clam up and basically not allow any changes to the withdrawal agreement or the backstop. Because if they make a concession to a British populist Prime Minister in their eyes, they'll have all sorts of trouble with their populist parties in their own domestic countries. Whereas if you have Sajid or Jeremy Hunt or even Michael Gove as Prime Minister, I think there'd be more leeway for the EU to basically give a little bit of slack to allow them to get through the withdrawal agreement and a deal. Couldn't agree more Boris has basically sort of backed them into a corner with no way off the, off the road. Yeah. Let, let's explore that a little bit more then. Cause, you know, Theresa May's supporters always said that no one else could have done any better in trying to secure a deal. Uh, Donald Trump rather generously said to the, this week that... She's a better negotiator than he is. What impact would a change of leader have on Brexit and whether we leave with, with, a, with no deal, a deal, or even remain? I think it's definitely a fresh start in the negotiations. There'll be a sense of sort of renewal there. Um, you'll have a situation where they can start afresh with particularly the Irish government. I think that Theresa May didn't put enough time into building up links with uh, the Irish government and you know, working with them to solve the backstop issue. Um, I think also the EU will feel, right, OK, time to talk afresh. The DUP, crucially, 
relations are hugely broken down between the DUP and Theresa May. They're very close to backing the withdrawal agreement at one point, then backed away from it. So there'll be a hint of a time of fresh start and well worth following the tweets and articles of the BBC's um, Europe editor, um, Cathy Radler, who has a very good article on um, the BBC website today, talking about how the EU felt that they pushed Theresa May too far and wanted to give a little bit of flexibility to try and get a deal through. Mm. Just to sort of pick up on the point that Matthew has just made about you know, the sort of DUP were quite, quite, were quite close to backing it at one stage and then sort of everything spectacularly fell out of bed. I mean, I, I think the sort of real point about TM's deal, you know, yes, you can argue, argue around the margins whether somebody could have, you know, sort of done anything better, but one of the key problems with it was that just sort of at every stage it was communicated so badly, yes. like both within the party, you know, her parliamentary colleagues, you know, let alone wider through the media to the general Public, so some of it was it was at least that communications point in bringing people alongside her and explaining, you know, what, what she was doing at various different stages. Mm. Amy, uh, Theresa May always said that she didn't want to be defined by Brexit, and we all know how that worked out for her. Will the new leader want a domestic le- legacy, or is is taking us out of Europe enough? Um, so, look, one of the one of the saddest sort of things I've seen recently is the front cover of this week's. Um, private eye, which literally just says Theresa May's legacy and then there's like nothing else on the page. Mm. Um, I think there is a sort of, you know, Brexit is the proverbial elephant in the room and if somebody can find some way to sort it, then, you know, dear dear God, the entire country will thank them for that. But there is such stasis in domestic policy at the moment. Somebody coming in does have to do something more because as a conservative party yes we've always had this horrible way of like tearing ourselves up over europe but equally look at the stuff that we have done in the last nine years of government be it civil you know civil partnerships and you know gay marriage and lowest unemployment and you know i could go on and on and on i sound like i was just citing lines from cchq but my, my point is like we have done a lot of stuff whilst you're in government you still have the capacity to do a a lot of stuff let's not squander it Mm. It's interesting how people's um, legacies are often defined by their successors. So let me just give you a few examples. If you look at how David Cameron was seen, at the time he was widely criticised for being too relaxed and chillaxing and not working hard enough and everything like that. But actually when Theresa May was around, people looked back and actually thought, wow, he ran a really competent government and a really tight ship. And they looked back in a very positive way. I think similarly with Theresa May's legacy, it will really depend on how the next leader deals with um, Brexit and how successful they are. If they make a great success of it, then of course people look back and say she completely failed. Whereas if they have find some of the same problems that she had and struggle with those problems, they'll look back and think that actually this was oh God, too big. It wasn't big just a... her. Correct. Exactly. And also like again, you know, she was in the Home Office for sort of six years. You know, we do have the modern slavery act because of her you know we did kick Abu Qatada out so you know all of those things that she did in that department I mean you know yeah the last couple of years you know are not being kind to her at the moment but she has been in politics for an awful long time and has done some really good stuff. Mm. I'm going to move on um, on and back to back to Europe I suppose Um, but following the European elections Tony Blair said that any Tory leader who called a general election would be certifiably insane can you see any circumstances in which we get an election before 2022? 
every fibre of my being is sort of saying no. But then to refer back to my earlier point, you know, politics is just so it's just so bonkers at the moment. I don't think you can rule it out. I mean, just sort of tactically, whether the party, you know, machinery, CCHQ is in a shape to really sort of be able to go at that all guns is another question. Um, the government doesn't have to call mm. a general election, you know, for, for sort of three more years. Why on earth would it? And you kind of hope that logic would permeate through on a number of levels. Firstly, if you're an MP, purely selfishly and politically, do you want to do yourself out of a job? But then going back to also another earlier point about we've got another three years where we could, like, do some stuff. Yeah. OK, yes, Brexit does need to be sorted, but equally, you know, we still have the levers of power to kind of push through, you know, a conservative a a agenda. And, you know, if we could just sort of focus a bit more on that as opposed to... Uh, continuing internal sort of party wranglings and even thinking about a general election, that, that would be sort of better for the party and the country. I agree. And of course, just speaking on the morning after the uh, Peterborough by-election, when um, you know, the Brexit party didn't quite uh, win, but came really quite close for uh, you know, a new start-up party to winning that by-election. And they will really define politics in quite a big way, I think, you know, until um, Brexit is delivered. They're a huge, huge threat to the Conservative Party and you know, would bring in a Labour government by splitting the votes more than centre-right. Okay. I think we're going to wrap, wrap up now. Um, I'm going to ask you both who, who your final two will be, who are the ones that will go through to the party membership and who is going to be your eventual winner? I'm going to go Boris Gove. And the winner? Yeah, I was going to sort of hopefully skate over that one. No, no. <laughs> um, I do... <clears throat> Um, I, I, I do think, just because of the way the numbers are looking, it will be Boris, but equally, Matthew set out very comprehensively earlier why it might not might not be him. Um, so I'm totally hedging my bets and looking desperately at Matthew to come <laughs> and rescue me at this point. I, the favourite never wins these contests, and um, yeah, we could have an upset again in this contest. There's a long way to go. Um, I, what's really struck me from the different figures on the, um, the different spreadsheets out there about how numbers totting up, and also our own private canvas of um, MPs, are how many undeclared voters there are at the moment. Mainly people who are, um, you know, government ministers who will be more naturally inclined towards Sajid, Jeremy Hunt, Michael Gove. So those numbers will tot up a bit more. Also, it's fair to say that since um, Gavin Williamson got on board with uh, Boris, oh, yeah. as a sort of former chief whip, he really has been turning the th yeah. true thumbs and saying to people, your career is finished unless you back um, Boris. And I think there are one or two people who've come out to publicly declare for Boris who will actually be voting for another candidate when it actually comes to the privacy of the ballot booth. So there's still a long way to go in this contest. Absolutely. Well, look, thanks very much, Mike. Thanks for being a really interesting discussion. We will revisit this. I'll probably drag you both back in here uh, in July. Um, and, you know, MHP will we'll share our thoughts again on this uh, once the race is run and a new leader has been announced. Uh, but until then, thank you for listening. Thank you. Okay, bye. You have been listening to the Engine Radio Podcast.